your biological imperative and their demands seem to require you to keep trying to attach to someone who just cannot attach back. Can you see yourself in adulthood doing this with these type with with people whether they are addicts or not? And unfortunately, some people, so many people that grew up in families like this, they grow up and they say, at least I didn't pick an alcoholic like my dad. At least I didn't pick a crack addict like my mom. But you picked people who still cannot, oh my gosh, I feel like, you still pick people who cannot attach back. You are experiencing the same dysfunctional dynamic. The drug is just gone. But it's the same feeling of being perpetually dissatisfied and overworking for someone who always needs but never gives. Hey y'all, welcome back to Boundaries and Grace. My name is Taylor Chandler and I'm your host. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and I help people break negative relationship cycles. Today is a really exciting episode um, called Addiction and Attachment. We're going to get into the foundation of addiction, um, a lot of History, some of the history of addiction, how we even got here, the issues with growing up in families uh, and active addiction and its effect on you now as adults. Okay, covering a lot of things. Um, one thing, uh, one mistake that I made in this episode was saying that an African bush elephant weighed 8,800 pounds. I want to correct that now. An African bush elephant actually weighs about 13,000 pounds. 13,000 pounds, and the Asian elephant weighs 8,800. It's all going to make sense when you get through the episode, okay? But I want to make that correction now. The African bush elephant, (laughs) it sounds so random, weighs uh, 13,000 pounds, and the Asian elephant weighs on average 8,800 pounds. It is going to make so much sense to you in about an hour, okay? Through this episode, um, it's super triggering. A lot of memories can come up for people who have come from homes like this, and so please give yourself permission now to take breaks through this episode okay all right let's get into it i hope you enjoy it i'll see you sometime in there and at the end thanks for listening okay so um hey y'all talking about addiction and so first i have to say i have to say this um kudos to anybody who you know you know you got it you got addiction, a, a history of addiction in your family, or you know, might just be one, might just be one parent. You know there was a parent in active addiction while you were growing up. For you to uh, even tune in or listen to this on the podcast or in the replay, because I'm going to put addiction in the title, just like I did it for this live, because we just need to call things what they are. But um, kudos to you if you are if you know you got addiction in your family. And you decided to tune in because this is going to be super triggering. And I say that about a lot of stuff now, okay? Because it all is, the attachment is just triggering in general, okay? Um, But addiction especially, ooh. So let me give y'all a little bit of background about myself. Um, I worked in addiction for a little bit, so this is how I got into it. It's not funny. It's really not. I, when I was in grad school, we have something called practicum which is what you do to get some work experience while you're still in school. And one of my professors, my favorite professor, told me, hey, there is this site that we're getting 
it's new. It's a new site, so we've had no experience with them. But we have this new site, and you're going to get so many hours. Because basically, y'all, this is what you do when you're in school to be a therapist. MFT, I'm an MFT, LPC, Licensed Professional Counselor. Okay, is there another one? Because um, psychiatrists is something totally just like psychiatrists and psychologists, a bit different. But yeah, so LPCs, MFTs, right? Yeah, so we have you got to get you got to get some practicum work, and and they do, and the psychologists, and psychiatrists do too. But the LPCs and MFTs are more similar. Okay, so you go to practice, you get this. They said we're gonna get this site. She said we're gonna get the site. It's new. You're gonna get so many hours. And me and my hyper functioning uh, self. My, my overzealous self, because I'm like, I need to get these hours. You got to get a certain number of hours in order to qualify to first graduate and then um, for your associate's license after you graduate and then your full license even after that. So you're already out of school, right? So I'm like, let me go where the hours are. Let me go where the hours are. So I was like, sure. And it was addiction, okay? It was a rehab center, a six-month residential rehab. I had no experience in addiction. We were required to take one addiction class, which is standard for MFT programs um, to get, have like, however many credits that is. But you take an addiction class. So I did that. And I was like, okay. I was, I had no personal interest in doing this. I had an opportunity to get a bunch of hours. So I said, sure. I got the internship and, my, and I did a couple of different, I could, I did, um, I had lit. how many did I have? Like three when I was in school or something, three. That's, I mean, that, the whole over-functioning thing is a different podcast episode. But anyway, so I was like, okay, let me go here. And I hated it so much. I hated working in addiction, hated it, hated it, hated it. This was my worst job that I'd ever had. And I've had some jobs. Honestly, the best employee, I'm the, I'm the, the the best employer is myself for me, okay? But uh, addiction was easily my least favorite job because it is incredibly stressful. And this is something that they even tell you in school. They're like, hey, there's a lot of burnout in addiction. Hey, like people, uh, is the most difficult clients in addiction. Hey, um, and they were right. And it was incredibly stressful and I, it, I hated it. Now, what's so interesting is that me working in addiction what, aside from my personal work that I did outside of this that informs my uh, formal education surrounding attachment and informal education surrounding attachment, personal experience surrounding attachment, working in addiction is the thing that helps me. The, it's in the same ballpark as helping me the most in doing this work because the dynamics in addiction, families in addiction, or people that were in relation or are in relationships with addicts is so similar to insecure attachment that me understanding after having worked in addiction, and I even went back after I finished my internship, I even went back when I was doing, when I had my associate's license to get more hours. Cause I was like, I need to go wherever I need to go to get fully licensed so I can be out this bitch. That's honestly what I was thinking. Right. So I was like, I will just go wherever to just get these hours done. And I knew I could go back there because I knew that they were going to allow me to come back and they hired me. And this time I was going to be paid or whatever. Um, not like it was paid, paid, right. Cause it's an agency. It's a nonprofit. And for those of you in the field, you know, that is what it is. Okay. But I wanted to go somewhere where I was going to get the hours so that I can work for myself as quickly as possible. So that's what I did. And I, I, and I knew the consequence of that was incredible stress and burnout. I knew that. I, I, I literally decided on that so that I could get this. That's a different conversation, okay? But um, 
understanding the dynamics of addiction helps me so much doing this job now. And so for that, I am infinitely grateful because this was my worst job, worst experience. It brought worst people I've ever worked with, worst clients I've ever seen, worst experience, stress. I've never been more stressed at a job, but understanding addiction and my supervisor was amazing she her, of course she ended up moving to california because okay so my, my my direct supervisor was really really good and she kind of like she really understood you know the stress of everything and so that made it better while i was there um eventually she left and i was there by myself and i said oh no but anyway um Understanding that and having her kind of like help me to bear the stress of working with addicts um, allowed me to get the knowledge that I didn't even know that I needed to do this job. I had no idea that it would be so helpful. So anyway, that was about seven minutes of me telling you how um, how much I hate addiction, but actually ended up loving my experience because of the way that it helps me help you. So going forward in this podcast episode, this is going to be especially prevalent. uh, especially relevant. It was a close, that was a close call. Okay. Close work, especially relevant for those of you that have, that have families, uh, or grew up in families where there was active addiction. Okay. But it is also going to make a lot of sense for those of you that identified with the anxious avoidant problem, which was season six, episode one, for those of you that identify as being an anxious type or a codependent type with avoidant people in relationships. Okay. There's going to be a lot of parallels, but I want you to know before we really get into this work and you know, I got my notes. I was rereading my notes before I got on this thing. And I said, Oh, this is good. You know, I think I'm rereading my notes like, Oh, this is good. I mean, oh, I can't wait. So um, it's especially relevant for those of you that directly have a, that have, have a fan, family members in addiction. But for those of you that do not, you are still going to get a lot out of it be- that if you're experiencing insecure attachment issues in your life, okay, you're still going to um, be able to follow along. But I, I just wanted to directly address people that have addiction either in their families actively or you are married or partnered to an addict or in your past, there was active addiction. I want to make a, I just needed, I need an episode for addict stuff. Okay. So even though there are parallels and I'm even going to call some of them out, I, I want um, people that grew up in this to know that this is a big problem that even if you were not the addict and you probably were not, if you're the one seeking this kind of work, um, all the, Oh, I don't have my mic on. Can y'all hear me well? I didn't realize I had, can y'all hear me? No one has said anything, so I'm assuming y'all can hear me, but this is plugged into the, before I go on, I need somebody to get into the um, comments and tell me. Because I picked this up, because this is my podcast mic, but this is my other mic. Y'all might not notice, but you know, you hear that, y'all can hear it. Okay, great. What was I saying? I needed a place for addicts. (laughs) I need a place for addicts to know that, uh, look, if you grew up in this, there's a big problem. You were absolutely affected. I'm going to talk about some of the guarantees that you get growing up in addiction, okay? And when I say growing up, I'm going to address that in a second. So I, want, I wanted people who grew up in families in addiction to have one to have an episode that you can just, you, you're like, this one is for me, okay? So even though there are parallels, um, my addict people, I'm specifically talking to you. Ready? Okay, addiction. Addiction is a family disease. This was decided. This was decided a while ago. I don't have a year for you. Uh, family disease. What does that mean? It means that if somebody's got it, everybody's got it. If somebody has addiction, 
in the family, we uh, we talking about the field, the field, okay, are seeing it as well. If one person's got it, everybody's got it. Why is that? Because everyone is affected and is forced to respond and some and in some way accommodate the disease and accompanying accompanying. That's a really bad. Is that an adverb? Do y'all even know what adverbs are? I was talking about this on my stories last night. Why was I spending time in the English class talking about noun verbs and adverbs? First of all, y'all still don't know what an adverb is. Something about an L-Y on the end of verbs. But y'all still don't know what an adverb is. We still don't know what an adverb is. And we still don't know how relationships work. And that's why I don't understand why we're spending time talking about adverbs and nouns and subject and predicates when we should have been learning about how to be healthy individuals in school. Anyway, that's a different story. So we call this a family disease because everyone is affected and um, in some way has to accommodate the disease and the behavior that comes with it. Okay, the behavior that comes with it. Another reason why we (laughs) another reason why we call this a family disease is because and this is I think my I think this one is my favorite point. You know how I be having to breathe through my own podcast. (laughs) I be having to breathe. I be like, oh, (laughs) oh, an addict. An addict cannot survive on his or her own. Did anybody hear that? An addict cannot survive on his or her own. What do we mean, Nikki, who just came in, gorgeous now, who just came in, Jamie, uh, Genevieve? I love the name. Genevieve. Okay. What are we talking about? An addict cannot survive on his own. She or he needs someone to support the addiction, the addict. Oh God, the addict. I feel myself getting warmed up. The addict. Let me get some water. The addict is so low functioning. Ooh, we talking about avoidant partner. Ooh, the addict is so low functioning. They require that somebody supports them. Okay. They require that somebody comes in and saves the day. They require some support. For, uh, to keep their addiction going. An addict cannot survive on his or her own. They're so low functioning. They need some help. They're unable to care for themselves. So uh, they're unable to keep a job, unable to keep relationships of any kind, but with other addicts. Unable to keep relationships of any kind, but with other, other addicts. There is one one type of person. Oh, we about to get into it. Y'all see my face. There is one type of person in particular too. That the addict can also have a relationship with. Does anybody know? I'm talking to the uh, the 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 uh, the crowd here. Does does anybody does anybody know what type of person the addict is also able to have a relationship with? Anybody? Come on, y'all get in the comments. Hello, take a guess. Misery loves company. Sure, sure, sure. Low vibrational as hell. Okay. What type of person can the addict also be in a relationship with? Long term, could be for years, decades. The enabler, hello, Busy B, what do you win? What do you win? Well, somebody throw up some hearts for Busy B. I I, I would do it for you, Busy, but I can't, I don't have hearts on my side because I'm the one doing it. So someone throw some hearts up for Busy B because she's right. Gorgeous Nell, throw some hearts up for her. She was right, pleasers. Oh, Sonia, you you got my notes right. Codependent, the codependent. Okay, let's talk about it. 
I can't gotta put get my wires in order because you know I got excited, started showing y'all things you weren't even supposed to be seeing. Put the all the answers are essentially correct. But uh Sonya got the got the word, the codependent. Did y'all listen to the codependency episode? Boop, broken wing bird, boop, broken wing bird collector. Y'all remember broken wing bird, broken wing bird collector. The codependent, the broken wing bird collector is the perfect match for our addict. The codependent, why is that? The codependent is willing to do anything to be with the addict. Anything. The codependent is willing to do willing to do anything to be with the addict. The codependent is addicted. So you are a type of addict, my dear. You see me get cuz you know I'm about to get in your ass. The codependent is addicted to feeling needed. It's not a physical substance you're ingesting. You're ingesting the relationship. You're in we are only on half of page one we have four pages y'all buckle up (laughs) buckle up okay the codependent is addicted to feeling needed the addict is the ultimate needy person the addict never runs out of needs so the codependent has found their perfect match always has a job and you know you codependents like to work Okay, and the addict likes to take you a perfect match. You are perfectly, perfect, in perfectly imperfect match. Perfectly imperfect match. So the addict needs the codependent endlessly. Why? Let's go back four minutes. Okay, the addict cannot function on his or her own. Is so low functioning always need some kind of support in order to maintain their life and especially to keep getting these drugs. Alcohol is included, y'all. I forgot to mention that. So many times there is a distinction between alcohol and other drugs. Alcohol is legal. It's still a drug. And let me not get into the policy and the governments right now, okay? Alcohol is a legal drug. Just like Delta 8 is a... I smoke weed. Okay, weed is much, uh, uh, objectively speaking, weed is way less problematic than alcohol, okay? Alcohol is legal. I'm not going to get into the money of it. I'm not going to get into the money of it. I am going to say that it is a legal drug, and often there is a separation between alcohol and other bad drugs like marijuana or something. Crack cocaine, uh, meth, heroin, hello, absolutely it's a no. Okay. Uh, anyway, I can't get into the drug talk. That's gonna have to be a different conversation. Anyway, my point is that alcohol is a, is a drug just like other drugs like crack. Okay. Like heroin. Okay. Like meth. Alcohol is in there too. Your government just legalized it. Your government legalized it. Okay. So it's the same thing. It's a problem. You can just buy it wherever. I feel like I want to go on a whole thing about that, but Lord knows we would be here all night. I cannot get into the government. I can't. Let me look at my notes. Let's get some water. Let's all take a break. Let's take a two-minute break. I got lemon pepper sitting right here on the dang uh on the dang desk. <laughs> I was putting lemon pepper. Y'all, I'm not even gonna tell you what I put lemon pepper on earlier today because it's just gonna. But sometimes you just need to have the Lowry's just right on the desk, just in case. Okay. Let's, 
let's let's come back. <laughs> let's come back into. Let me check this really quick. Okay, let's come back here. The addict needs the codependent endlessly. The addict that and the codependent needs the addict endlessly. They are both feeding each other their drug. Genevieve said it wasn't good. You know it was. Okay. They are both feeding each other their drug. The addict gets a supported life. <laughs> the addict gets a supported life through the codependent, through the efforts of the codependent person, the enabler. Also, the other words that y'all had said, we said the enabler, the codependent type, the pleaser, all of those things is this person, okay? Um. The addict gets a supported life through the codependent because the codependent provides and never ask too much of the addict. You know you can't ask an addict too much. You can't ask uh, for too much from the addict, just like y'all can't ask for too much from your avoidant partners, emotionally unavailable partners. Here's one of those parallels, okay? But I want y'all to stay focused on the addiction principles, okay? Because if you are codependent, you need to pay attention because you are just like those who have done gotten all up in with an addict with a sub a substance user if you are an anxious type that cannot stop attaching to uh emotionally unavailable and avoidant types this is for you too you know i know buckle up ready we're all just about to finish up page one we got four pages to go through the at the addict gets a supported life through the codependent because the codependent provides and never asks too much of the addict. You already know. This is where you already know you can't. You can't because they won't. You can't because they can't. You can't ask because they can't give. You can't ask because they don't have it. You can't ask because they've never done it. You can't ask because they can't even do it for themselves. You know you can't even ask. It's not because you are you because you got everything going on yourself. You got problems too. You can't ask because they won't do it. So you so you don't do it. You don't ask. You don't ask for reciprocity. You don't ask for your needs to be met. You don't ask for your request to be granted because you know they can't do nothing, especially an addict. Low functioning, can't do, can't do it for themselves, can't do anything for you, can't do anything for you. Thank you, Natalie. I appreciate that. And for all of the... For all, <laughs> Courtney, hey. Courtney, welcome. Uh, Y'all, this is good, isn't it? Okay. Can't never ask too much of the addict. Codependent staying in their role, right? Not asking for too much. Shrinking yourself. Sound familiar? Sound familiar, anxious types? Sound familiar, people pleasers? Yes. This could be you. You know what? Let me put the notes down. Because I need to say this. I need to say this. Addicts. Oh, I'm about to talk about y'all's government in a second. Addicts have the... Uh, I don't know, uh, un misfortune of being legally labeled as being illegal. They've been labeled as illegal, right? Okay. So people who are with addicts and addicts themselves get looked at as these like lepers of society, lepers of society. Like how could you just be addicted to heroin? How could you be with somebody who's on crack like that? And y'all be with the same types of people. They're just not ingesting a physical drug, but they're misusing and abusing you. So my point is this. My point is this. My point is this. My point is this. Is that what I, what I learned when I was working in addiction especially, what I really learned when I was working in addiction especially, was that people have these perceptions of addicts. Hey, y'all. People have these perceptions of addicts. And I said, they're just like everybody else. They just have a legal label 
They have a legal label making them illegal. Okay, but the same dynamics that happen between an addict and the codependent, an addict and their enabler, are the same dynamics happening between anxious people and avoidant types. It's just that y'all haven't been made illegal. But if I, oh goodness, if we made being emotionally unavailable or dismissive avoidant illegal, then the people who were with them anxious types, y'all would be looked at crazy too. And my point is this, have some compassion for these people because it's not, it's really not so different. And so when I was working with them and I, and I was deeply codependent, let's not forget, let's not forget, let's not forget. I was deeply codependent. And I, I've said this before, when I was in grad school, I was in the worst relationship of my life, deep codependency, deep denial. And so I had this internship when I was in that. And I started to hear, I started to wake up. I said, oh, Lord, thank God. I started to wake up. I said, uh-uh, oh, my goodness. What is going on? <laughs> okay, I, What's going on? And I started to hear my clients differently, talking about the rehab. I started to hear them differently. I said, y'all sound like me. The way that they were addicted to the drug was the way that I was addicted to these dumb relationships. The way that they were mistreating themselves was the way that I was mistreating myself. The difference was they could get arrested for it. Don't let me go down this road. Don't let me go down this road. Let me stick to my notes. We're not past page one. And we're already 30 minutes in. Lord knows I have a lot to say. Okay, so here we go. The addict gets a support. How many times am I going to read this line? The addict gets a supported life through the codependent because the codependent provides and never asks too much of the addict because you can't. The addict is able to get money either directly or indirectly from the codependent support. You need money in order to uh, to support your addiction. You 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 need money to support your addiction. So what I said, what I'm saying that you get money directly or indirectly through the codependent support, they are providing something for the addict that allows them to save money, that allows them to use their their money from working at Pet Boys. They can take that money and because they don't have to pay rent because the codependent is like, well, you know, you're down on your luck, so you don't have to pay anything. So they, they get to keep their money and they, get, they use that for their addiction, stuff like that. Okay, because the codependent is supporting. If they're not directly giving them money, they are supporting them in other ways, which allows them to maintain their addiction. An addict cannot live on his or her own. They are too low functioning. If if everybody cuts off the addict, the addict dies. Either the addict is forced to get sober or the addict. I'm talking about literally dies, dies, dies. Withdrawal will, can kill you. Withdrawal can kill you and overdose can kill you. We can't go down all of these roads. But I want you to understand that an addict cannot survive alone. That's what you have to understand. Okay. They might be providing money. The codependent might be providing money, might be providing housing, car, transportation. The addict never, never can, they are either getting the car repossessed or they're crashing it or they can't buy one. So the person has to either use the car. They're always driving them to work. They got to set up their transportation. They can't, you can't just give them a bus pass because you think they're going to use the bus pass to go downtown and get the drugs. So you're trying to drive them and the, Allowing the addict enough space or leverage to uh, keep their addiction alive. Let's move on. There are, uh, okay, I think I already touched on this. Are y'all getting it? Are we understanding? Are we understanding? This episode's going to be up on Thursday, by the way, so you can download it to your phone. App, uh, Apple, Amazon, Spotify. 
By the way, y'all, let me make this note right here before we go on. Uh, thank you, Nikki. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Gorgeous Now. Thank you, Genevieve. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Okay, so um, let's make this point. It's no coincidence that all y'all about the same age. That th We had a um, hair a opioid epidemic. Did y'all hear about it? It happened. It's like happening in the United States, okay? We have an opioid problem. Um, we would have had a crack problem if they took black people seriously, but they didn't. So now we have an opioid problem because the white people have it. Okay. This is not, y'all know we deal with everybody, right? We were everybody, but understand if you're white, the opioid epidemic, this drug, drug epidemic only became government, uh, a government issue when white, because it came into white neighborhoods. You need to understand that, uh, black people had a lot of addiction problems, <laughs> Okay, uh, do we need to talk about how, how, how crack got in the mix? But black people had addiction problems, but this, this was not, uh, uh, they didn't create government mandates to help people get sober from crack, okay? There are a lot of things out here for opioids because it affected white people. Understand this, white people, seriously. This is just, this is just, a, this is a fact. Okay, so I want you to understand that for context. I, all, for yourself, honestly, for yourself. I also want you to understand that because of like the times that all of this was happening in, because you think about crack and you think about heroin, um, the whole heroin turning into pills. So this is what happened. Y'all heroin was something that was injected. And then, uh, let's back up. Let's back up. Opi let's talk about the opioids, like pills, for example. Okay. Pills. Pills were prescribed for like pain, like get into a really bad car accident. People were prescribed opioids. What, what, what a lot of, what happened to a lot of people and why we started to experience this opioid epidemic. One big reason is because people that were uh, like having these legitimate needs for painkillers, opioids, painkillers, um, started to become addicted to the drug, the pill itself. Well, Pills and pharmaceuticals are expensive in the United States. Yeah, not in the world necessarily. In the United States in particular, opioids are, or rather pharmaceuticals are expensive. So opioids, once the pills started getting expensive, well, the, 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 maybe the, the pain might have stopped, but the addiction to the opioids didn't. So what people can do, what people, what a lot of, what a lot of people did was uh, start, start to take the, uh, the, the, the addiction and said, I can't afford the pill anymore. What can I afford so I can get the same effect? Because I've become addicted to the effect. I might not even be in need anymore, or maybe I am and just can't afford insurance, money, whatever. Maybe I just can't afford the actual medication that I need in order to kill this pain. So what did so many people do that really like bolstered up this, opioid epidemic was they started to use heroin because heroin and opioids it's like two sides of the same coin heroin is just a street drug opioids are delivered by your neighborhood walgreens oh my gosh i'm about to get really upset because this stuff really pisses me off okay this is this problem this is a serious problem so I want you to understand that for context, okay? Just understand how we even got here. And then also, I want you to also understand the 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 generational issue, okay? That the um, 
the the y'all in your 20s and 30s, right? 20s and 30s are experiencing now you're old enough to know something wasn't right. The generation before did not have these issues. Cocaine wasn't even as wasn't like this. They put fentanyl in heroin. Y'all know what fentanyl is? I'm getting on the whole thing. We're not even on ah, four pages. We're not even on page two. I need y'all to I want y'all to understand this stuff for real. Fentanyl is an elephant tranquilizer. An elephant, like an elephant, like in a a safari, elephant, giraffe, elephant, zebra, elephant, big ass uh, animal, big elephant, tranquilizer, knocks you out, okay, not tranquilizer, an elephant tranquilizer, fentanyl, in heroin, okay, this is stuff meant to knock out an elephant. You know how much an elephant weighs? Let's check it out. Y'all know I got a new iPad. Look at it. I got a new iPad. I'm going to Google it on my iPad. How much does an elephant weigh? Are we going to get through all the notes today? How much does an elephant weigh? Dang near, uh, uh-oh, in the African bush, this thing weighs 8,800 pounds. Jamie said, come on, iPad. Y'all see the iPad? It's new. Um, Anyway, the point is an elephant tranquilizer, something that's meant to knock out an elephant with an inject, with a just, that's a strong thing. And you put fentanyl in some heroin and put it in a person, what do you weigh? Right? So it's not meant, fentanyl is not meant to be in a human body. It's meant to tranquilize elephants. Anyway, what's my point here? My point is, we got a problem. Number, that's number one. Number two, uh, generationally, uh, oh yeah, this wasn't even this wasn't even a problem. Cocaine wasn't made like this. The generation before us, especially before that, the, it, cocaine wasn't made like that. Heroin was heroin wasn't made with fentanyl in it. Basically, things have just evolved and gotten bigger and better. Just like how this iPad Air is better than the last iPad that was out. Uh, Heroin got bigger and better too, okay? Stronger, more powerful, to the point where these things are... what 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 generations before dealt with if they were using drugs is not the same thing as this so i need you to understand that i need you to understand that why that that why that matters is because y'all this generation 20s 30s okay 20s 30s especially y'all are experiencing the if your parents your family was in active addiction you're experiencing a different kind of addiction you're experiencing addiction uh this is the iphone 13 this is the iPhone 13 Pro Max. That's what I'm using, right? iPhone 13 Pro Max is the newest model of addiction. This thing is strong and powerful and big. And that's why so many people right now in this generation are becoming aware of some ain't right because y'all dealing with stuff that was not on the market last generation. This was not on the on your grandparents' market. They might have your parents might have smoked, uh, might have might have uh, used cocaine. They might have used cocaine. It's not the same cocaine down the street. It's not. Okay. And so the effects that you're that that people are experiencing in this generation are bigger and badder than generations before. It's no coincidence that y'all are all the same age. You do not see your parents' generation talking about I need help because my parents were addicted, do you? You don't. You don't. You don't. 
you don't and you won't because it's a different monster. So in the family, the addict is usually in relationship with a codependent person. If you are in relationship with an addict, so let's bring it back to like, like, like addict world. Okay. The addict is usually in relationship with a codependent person. In order to be in relationship with someone using a substance, you got to be deeply codependent to put up with this. You got to be deep, deeply codependent to put up with this. Why? Because addicts, uh, you're cheating, you're lying, you are stealing absenteeism. You're not showing up for work. Can't keep a job. Denial, no accountability. This is the nature of an addict. This is the nature of an addict. That's why we call it addictive thinking. It's not John's way of thinking or Brianna's way of thinking. This is addictive thinking, lying, cheating, stealing, absenteeism, denial, no accountability. So in order to, in order to be with an addict, to maintain a relationship with an addict, you must be deeply deeply codependent you have to it's, it's and this is where there's a difference between like the normal anxious avoidant thing okay in order to be with an, a substance abuser user an addict you have to shrink your needs to such a minuscule point this about right there this about you and your needs are the size of that African bush elephant, 8,800 pounds. But you like this. You acting like this. Because you are, this is the accommodation for the addict. Because their needs, other needs can't exist. Because we said what? The, the addict is the ultimate needy person. Requires that other people's needs do not exist. And if you have been in families with an addict, you know that you can't, they ask you for everything and you can't ask them for anything. Okay, you can't make any requests, can't hold any standards or expectations, but they have a very seemingly rigid way that they need to be dealt with. You got to be you got to be careful. You got to you got to handle them with kitty gloves. Boop, 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 boop. You got to handle them with doo. you got to apologize for everything. They're sensitive, aren't they? But let them hurt your feelings. Let them steal your wallet. You can't be like, John, you stole my wallet. They're, it's a problem, right? You got to shrink to accommodate. The addict, Jamie, you're following Jamel. Hey, you're following. I know this is good. I know this is going to help somebody. This stuff is so kept in the dark. I'm going to light this bitch up. I'm going to light this bitch up. All right. Um, Jamel, you missed the beginning. Watch the replay. Okay. You know, I got you, but we already covered this. So anyway, he asked, can someone needy be, can, some, what is it? can someone be an addict of being needy? We already talked about it, right? So you got to go back. Okay. Y'all, it's making sense, isn't it? It's making sense, isn't it? You need to be deeply codependent to do this. You need to shrink so small in order to, thank you, Jamal, in order to deal with this kind of behavior. This is off the charts. Okay. And, and they make children. Let's get to, let's start, let's talk about y'all now. Okay. Addict, children of, of families in, in addiction. I think we should take a two. I think we should take a ninety second break. I think we should take a ninety second break because this is now we're gonna be talking about y'all. How's it going? Good. It's a lot, right? Yeah. Okay, so we're just gonna take a bit of a breather here. This is the first passing around of the offering bucket. For those of you that are new to boundaries and grace, this is something that I do in the middle and also at the end. 
of the show. This is a way for you to give back and show that you've been getting something out of it. It's a way to give back into what you are getting something out of. And so I certainly appreciate it. For those of you that were listening, watching live when I recorded this, I received your cash apps and I really appreciate it. I saw them days later. Um, so I replied with a little emoji that I'm able to do on cash app, but I wanted to take this time to say thank you here because I really appreciate you contributing to this and uh, valuing the efforts that I'm putting into it. So thank you. And I'm glad you're getting something out of it because I only ask that you um, pour into the offering bucket, whether that's $5, $10 or whatever else is on your heart. I only ask that you do that if um, you're consistently getting something out of it and, and it is actually truly valuable to you, not just because I'm doing this. Okay, that is definitely not it. So um, that's that. Give you about 20 more seconds here. Oh, by the way, it's um, dollar sign Tay Chan. It's also listed in the show notes below. Dollar sign T-A-Y-C-H-A-N-D. I'm also going to add a PayPal link for those of you that are out of the country. Another five seconds. Big deep breath in through your nose. Big exhale out through your mouth. Okay, let's go. Okay, are we ready? Are we all ready? Jamie, are you ready? <laughs> Jamie, are you ready? Come come on. Okay, we need to get it moving now. We, we need to get it moving. All right, so... Lord, we already see this is a problem. <laughs> this is this is bad. The addict and the codependent people, they get together. They're in a very toxic kind of dynamic, a very problematic dynamic. And, of course, they make children. The children are subjected to chaos. Cue the insecure attachment. <laughs> the parents are totally out of order. No structure. Irresponsible. Unpredictable. In many cases, violent, physically, emotionally, sexually, neglectful. Okay? Listen, you cannot be a good addict. You cannot be a good drunk driver. These are bad things. You let me let me back up a second because I know what's about to happen. I know what's gonna happen. Let me let me take a second. Okay, let's address this part. We have a we have a biological imperative to be connected to our our parents, especially as children. It is a uh, natural way that we try to survive because we want to be able to connect with the person that can keep us alive. Okay. Naturally to buy it's biologically imperative that these people, this person that is caring for me, likes me, loves me, feels motivated to take care of me. Okay. So it's becomes really problematic when that person is unpredictable, inconsistent, problematic, chaotic, erratic, okay? Because that child has the same need. Child doesn't see, that is like, think about Coco. Coco don't care how I'm looking. She don't care if I, what kind of day. She's just like, hey, 
you're my person. <laughs> okay. That's what children do for you, right? Children are just like, hey, you're my person. That's what you did for your parents. It doesn't matter how you think about them now. Okay. This is what you do for your parents. You're like, hey, you're my person. Hey, we're, me and you, we're supposed to be doing this thing. Okay. Hey, pick me up. Hey, feed me. Hey, change me. Like, hey, you know, you're my person, right? And so when that person or those people are inconsistent, unpredictable, chaotic, erratic, and that need is still there, it creates a really problematic dynamic, okay? Creates a really problematic dynamic because the child is trying to attach to what hurts him or her, okay? This is, the, this is the breeding ground for fearful avoidant behavior. I want you, but I'm afraid of you, okay? This is also very difficult. It becomes really difficult about, at about this point in the conversation, at about this point in therapy, in the confrontation, that uh, where, where the child, you're, now you're an adult, now the adult child still feels this need to protect their parent. And so we have to acknowledge that, yes, that exists and you want to protect your parent and you don't want people to think bad about your parent or parents or whatever. OK, you don't want to paint them in a bad light. So this is this is where we have to make an important distinction. And it can take some time to really get this thing like embedded in your own brain. So take your time with it. But understand that reporting on what someone did badly is not the same as talking badly about them. OK. Uh, referencing facts of your history is not the same as talking shit about your mom or dad. Okay, it's, it's not the same thing. If you're talking about things that have actually happened and things that are, and things that have actually made you feel, however they have felt, it is not the same as talking badly about your parent, gossiping. Okay, and I'm saying that because for some of you that's obvious, and for some of you it's very unclear. And so I'm talking to the people where it's very unclear, and understand that a lot of people feel that way. Okay. So this is where, okay, you need to take a breath. And if you're listening to this in the replay or if you're listening to this on the podcast, this is where you might pause it and you might come back to it. Hey, Kiki. So this is where you might pause it and come back to it because this is where it gets kind of sticky, okay? And so I'm just acknowledging that it's hard to see your parents like this. It's hard to see your parents like this. And so just kind of taking a breath and being like, okay, talking about bad things that happened is not the same about, it's not the same as talking badly about my parent. It's different, different things. Okay. There's a lot of guilt and shame surrounding addiction itself. And then there's a lot of guilt and shame talking about your parents in therapy in general for many people, whether their addiction was present or not. And so you should understand that, um, you know, uh, it's normal to feel like that. And we also have to get clear on what's reality, okay? That it's not gossiping or like we're not, we're not villainizing your parent. We're just trying to get the facts on the table so that we can help you the way that you need to be helped. And we can't help if you're trying to still like make it look like something it's not. And understand that your parents started that with you. Your parents, your parents started that. Keep all this stuff, especially black families, keep it in the house. Whatever happens in the house stays in the house. Like you can't just like you can't talk to anybody. You can't say, hey, I need help. Something bad is happening here. And now you're an adult and, and you have to realize that you you are able to because that's called learn helplessness where you have learned that there's nothing you can do. And so you no longer even try to affect your environment. And so as an adult, your hand feels limp. 
you're like, I need help, but I can't. And you gotta, you gotta be like, wait a second. Uh oh. Uh oh. Oh. Taylor sounds like she's talking about me. Oh, it's me. Okay. Instead of acting like, pretending like, imagining that your parents have your hand shackled to the floor, like you can't say anything. These people are not here. They're not here. And that's a that's a mental block that only you can say like, okay, it's not actually happening. I feel their presence and I feel guilt and shame, but I still have a decision that I can make. And I can still say like, Hey, like I, I need help. I need help. Hey y'all. Okay. So I need to address that. Children are naturally brought up. Okay. If you're, if you came from a family of origin where addiction was present, you are, this is one of the guarantees of, of, of coming from a family with, with active addiction guaranteed brought up with huge distortions surrounding boundaries, big Big distortion surrounding boundaries. As a matter of fact, you might have just learned about boundaries probably in the last two years if you're if you're still on pages like this. I'm telling, I'm saying. <laughs> Allison, thank you. Um, okay, so if you were, if you were brought up in in families with addiction going on, families with active addiction, you guarantee brought up with huge distortions surrounding boundaries. Why? I'm gonna give you two big ones. The uh, You need to know this. The adult alcoholic, the adult addict. I said adult alcoholic. I wrote that, but it actually meant addict. The adult addict used excessive control. They always do. They always do. I'm not even going to finish the sentence. Addicts always, it's a guarantee, use excessive control because they feel so out of control in here. So they excessively control out there. What you can do, what you can I just said 20 minutes ago, the rigid ways of how to deal with them, you gotta handle them so carefully. Okay, you gotta handle them so carefully. They have excessive control over their environment, but they are totally irresponsible. They're, prob they're the most irresponsible one in the house and they cannot, cannot, cannot be trusted they cannot be trusted. Go back. Addict behavior. I'm looking at my own notes. Go back. Cheating, lying, stealing, absenteeism, denial, no accountability for their own behavior. They absolutely don't. And this is where, this is where, go back to the, those of you that where this is difficult to hear and you try to gauge your, your parent. Well, uh, they weren't so bad. Well, I mean, I guess, well, no, and that is you invalidating your own experience. Don't blame anybody else. Pause, reflect, and notice how you do it all on your own. How I am right here telling you this is what they've done to you. And in your own mind, this is somebody listening to it right now. In your own mind, you're like, well, I don't know if it was so bad. Well, maybe they were an addict light. And that is you invalidating your own experience. And how many people have come before me trying to show you the light and you talk yourself out of it. It's nobody else but you. The adult addict uses excessive control, but is totally irresponsible, cannot be trusted, but has all the power. The second issue with boundaries, the partner or spouse that is with the addict, because they cannot do this on their own, does not maintain standards for him or herself. So he or she, this is the partner or spouse, has no boundaries, yet over-accommodates the addict, yet 
over accommodates the addict. That sounds y'all anxious, preoccupied people with your uh, emotionally unavailable, dismissive avoidant types. You have no boundaries and yet you over accommodate the addict. Whatever boundaries they have, you, ooh, ooh, you alert. You ready. You know, you, you're so good. You are so attuned to what they need. You predict it weeks out. I know you do. I know you do, especially when you're with an addict because you have to because your safety depends on it. You have to be. It requires you to be hypervigilant because you know these people are nuts. You know these people are unpredictable. You know it. You know it. You know it. Just like you know that that avoidant type is going to do what they do and you got to predict. You got to prepare. You got to be you got to be ready. Oh my God, I'm so sick of this. I'm so sick of this. I'm so sick of this. This is the this is the personal part of me. That's like, I'm so tired of people living like this. I hate it for you. So, but honestly, sometimes I hate it more for you than you hate it for yourself. And so you keep doing it. So um, we got two big issues with boundaries. We got an adult addict that uses excessive control, is totally irresponsible, cannot be trusted, yet has all the power, is setting all the rules. Boundaries are confused. And then you have this other person. And remember, we're talking about the children witnessing this, witnessing this. You are witnessing this. And if you're witnessing it, you are learning it. You are internalizing. You're identifying with it. So the partner or spouse has no... uh, it doesn't have any standards for him or herself, no boundaries, yet over accommodates the addict. The child's growing up watching like, okay, uh, so I get, here we go, because I already wrote about it. I don't even need to think about it because I already knew that I was going to get to this point. The child has a really distorted view of boundaries, boundaries, power, and love, boundaries, power, and love in relationship it's like a mirror with mirror maze where you keep perceiving things are what they are not you start aligning fear with love this is where this starts this is why i said it's the origin of insecure attachment we're talking about addiction you start lining up fear with love excessive power over you with love or care or security, when it is literally being handed down, that power can hand, or, or the, the, the rules are handed down by the most irresponsible person on the block. The, mo- the person that can't be trusted is the one with the most control because they use fear tactics rather than authentic power and connection to, to influence their environment. They don't believe that they can, and so they use excessive control instead. And so you, as child that now grew up to be an adult child, getting in relationships like this, whether they're an addict or not, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, don't play it, don't play with me. I don't care if that person that you're with is actively using substances or not. Because the dynamics are going to be the same. If you grew up in a, in a house like this and you have not done anything about it, I'm going to go back and look at your relationship history and see the same stuff. You're not going to get it. You can't get away from it. You can't get away from it. You can't get away from it until you do something about it. You've got to intervene. Addiction is a beast. This scared me. When I was working in addiction, and I already knew, I had this feeling um, like when I was young, I said, Taylor, you could never try hard drugs. I knew like really, I just always felt like, uh, that just doesn't, even weed I was afraid of for a while. I was like, oh, I don't know. And then I was like, okay. And then, and then, but I, I always do like, you could never, you could never, you can never do that. Um, when I worked with addicts, I said, oh no. 
Oh no, I would never take a taste, never take a sniff, never take a nothing, nothing. Because this thing is something that if you never, if you haven't grown up in it and you get close to it, this is something that you wouldn't. This is some of the worst stuff I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I think it's the worst. I, I think addiction is terrible. It's it's horrible. That's horrible. And so you're uh, blessed if you do not have that in your family. Um, and I hope that we start to have more compassion for people that do, because this thing is like, you can literally see how it turns somebody into a different person. Like it is like, it's like, it's so dark. It's very dark. It's very, very, very dark. It's very dark. So the children grow up. It's like a mirror maze where you perceive things that perceive that things are what they're not align fear with love. You also, you also learn you also learn that you should never stop trying to attach to people even when they don't attach back. You learn living in a family, a house like this, family like this, you learn that you should never stop trying to attach to someone who just cannot attach back. An addict is unable to sustain healthy connection. I know they might want to. I know you might see the glimpse in their eyes sometimes. I know sometimes when they're sober for those three days, I'm serious. I'm serious. I know sometimes when they're sober for those 72 hours and they start telling you things, they start saying stuff like, I should have never done this. I wish I would have done that. I never will go back. All that stuff. All that stuff. Okay, but you see that they are unable to maintain healthy connection, unable to do it. And yet your biological imperative and their demands seem to require you to keep trying to attach to someone who just cannot attach back. Can you see yourself in adulthood doing this with these type with with? people, whether they are addicts or not. And unfortunately, some people, so many people that grew up in families like this, they grow up and they say, at least I didn't pick an alcoholic like my dad. At least I didn't pick a crack addict like my mom. But you pick people who still cannot, oh my gosh, I feel like, you still pick people who cannot attach back. You are experiencing the same dysfunctional dynamic, the drug is just gone. But it's the same feeling of being perpetually dissatisfied and overworking for someone who always needs but never gives. Let's take a two-minute break. This is sad. I find this to be very sad. Right. Yep. Addict's behavior affects generations of a family. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Woo, this is a lot. All right, we're almost done, though. We really are. It's like a, we really are almost done. Okay, so the last thing I said was you had this need to attach to your addict parent, but they're not able to attach back. An addict, just like they're not able to keep a job, are not able to maintain attunement. Attunement. 
Attunement is like when you feel like you're in flow with somebody, like you feel like you're tuned in to me, you're locked in, you're hearing me, we are in this conversation together, okay? But people in active addiction, they're unable to do that. They're so preoccupied with getting the drug and getting the fix, same thing, getting the drug slash fix, that they're unable to attune to other people's needs. So they can be with you physically, but not with you emotionally or mentally. And they have an inconsistent presence, okay? Addicts don't stay in one place. They move, they go, they're not on time. They, they leave for days, they come back unexpectedly. They're abrupt, erratic, chaotic, okay? This is a breeding ground. I say, you, you, you come up with a family like this, it's not, it's not possible for, for you to be unaffected. This is a breeding ground for insecure attachment, okay? Insecure attachment, where you feel like you can't trust whether someone um, means what they say. You can't trust follow through. You are obsessed with making sure that people do what they say they're going to do. You are my accountability police. You are hypervigilant. You require you usually have super high rigid standards in relationships because you're so afraid of someone letting you down because it happens so much. And with the exact people that weren't supposed to do it, Jesus. So we have a problem. Okay. This is insecure attachment. It just pops up from the soil. Okay. It's just boop, 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 boop. When we talk about addiction, are we specifically talking about drugs or the other types of results? We talked about that earlier. You got to catch the replay, okay? We already addressed it. Okay, so it's a hotbed for insecure attachment. You become obsessed with trying to stabilize your parent. I think this is the reason why one of these things is so sad is because I'm not talking about it like for adults. It's because this is a, this is a child issue that you as an adult grow up with the effects of what you experience as a child. I find that so sad. And I don't mean that in like a, oh my gosh, like you're never going to get better. I just mean that it's legitimately just a sad thing because children should not have to deal with this. I mean, in a perfect world, right? And not even in a perfect world. I think in a decent world, like just decent. We just shouldn't even have to do this. Okay, but here we are. So let's fix it. You become obsessed with trying to stabilize your parent. It comes out in people-pleasing, hypervigilance, stuff like that. Anxious tendencies, right? Anxious tendencies, the anxious tentacles, always wondering what's going to happen next. You're the type that's always waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're also likely to describe yourself as being like flexible, accommodating, generous, because you are overly accommodating of people, especially with bad behavior. And you also likely have you, a lot of people that come up with addiction, savior complexes are rampant because you wish you could save your parent and especially children who don't have an awareness of all of the mechanics that are going on in the background, all of the dynamics that feel like you should just be able to get better. Okay, and that try to then make their parent better by good behavior, by anticipating their needs, stuff like that. And you grow up and you're now you're an adult child in adult relationship doing those same things. Can't you see it? You may, you're not just showing up as anxious. I said this is a hotbed for insecure attachment. So let me address how this shows up. Avoid it. All right, you may show up avoidant in relationships, but feel, but still feel in your background, you are subject to your parents' authority, to the authority of the family of origin. You might be big dog out here, but you bend your knee back there. You still feel subject to your parents' authority because there's still this perception that they have this excess power over you. Avoidants aren't that tough. It's often... 
the avoidance are taking their resentment out on their partner. Don't you realize how dismissive avoidant types always feel like they need to keep their resources tight to their chest? They feel like they can't let people in too much. They don't want to feel influenced. They always want to feel like they're making their own decisions. They never want you to feel so important that you would you could have an effect on what they decided to do. Although that is normal in relationships, they're especially fearful of it. If you came up in a, a family with addi active addiction, this is a really normal byproduct. You don't just turn out anxious. You just turn out insecure. You're going to express either anxious or avoidant, depending on a couple of different things. But let's we're talking about the avoidance in this little part, right? So you can come out as big dog and be like, I want to hold all my resources. I don't want you to affect me. I don't want you to influence me because you're so, you, you know, you know. You know, you know that your parent was doing, was exercising excess control over you. Boundary pusher, right? No boundaries. Just taking things. Just assuming things. Just overly directing you when they couldn't direct their own life, right? And so you come out resentful. Of course, of course. Of course, of course. It's not about not understanding where it comes from. It's about taking that resent. It's about using that resentment dysfunctionally, and it hurts other people. And so the point is for you, avoidant, to get a hold on that thing, to really confront the resentment, the anger, the sadness, the grief that's there, so that you don't have to keep hurting people like this because you're the one hurt, and other people shouldn't have to suffer for your hurt, and you shouldn't have to suffer. By hurting other people because avoidant types end up hurting people that they really like and love because they can't get a hold on their anger. You are angry at these, this person or these people, even so not just the addict, but the person that was with the addict that did not control the addict or get you out of that situation or they got you out and now you're mad at them for not keeping you in. You got a lot of wishy-washy emotions, okay? You got a lot of feelings that are going back. I'm talking directly to somebody. You got a lot of feelings going back and forth. You know, you're angry, you're sad, you're at peace. You're all over the place. You're chaotic, just like the home that you came from. And so I need you to go to therapy, okay? I need you to get, I need you to confront these things so that we don't ha keep having to repeat this cycle, okay? Please, for yourself primarily so you don't have to live like this. And then for the other people that you don't want to hurt anymore, okay? We are almost done. I'm so glad. I've never been so uh, grateful to be ending a podcast. I promise you, this is, I cannot wait to be done with this. We're almost done. We have half a page. Because this is a lot. But for some reason, I don't know what it is about the way that, I don't know if it's because I'm doing, I've never recorded at night on a Monday and I had a whole day of clients. And now, I don't know what it is, or if it's just a, the nature, because I never talked about addiction on the podcast or so specifically. I don't know if maybe it's that, but I'm feeling like I want this to be over. I do. I really want this to be over. Um, <laughs> I don't know how else to explain it. I don't know how to explain it. Yes, I'm hitting a lot of angles. I think it's just a lot. Okay. So um, regardless of whether you're showing up anxious or avoidant, you're showing up insecure. It's a guarantee if you grew up in an environment like that. I already said that. Okay. I already said that. Oh, oh my God. Thank God. I just knocked off like a couple different lines because we already did it. Talking about whether you're going to show up as, or, as anxious or avoidant, you're just insecure. Oh, well, 
I, I literally, <laughs> I just really know myself. I literally wrote in my notes, we can stop here. And that's exactly where we're at. Cause I'm like, I was like, oh no, this is just going to be too much. So basically what I want y'all to understand is just the nature of addiction, how it's affecting insecure attachment. Um, and all of this, because you really wanted your parents, you really wanted that parent to be a normal parent. That's really what it, that's, that's what it, I mean, that's what it is. You wanted your parent to be a normal parent, just a parent that comes home when they're supposed to come home, just a parent that uh, keeps a job, just a, just a, most people that grew up in the, they're just like, I just want to sound normal, just something, just some standard, just a standard model. I'll even take the car that you got to crank thing. I crank it. I just want this. I just want the car to look like a car, but instead I got a dang whatever. Uh, <laughs> unicycle. Can't ride this dang unicycle. You know what I'm saying? T topsy turvy. Cause it doesn't have all the doors. You don't have any protection. So a lot of people just want like a the standard model. Okay. All this because you just wanted your parent to attune, just validate, just affirm, just don't even change yourself. A lot of times adult children coming from parents of addicts are like, I don't even want my parent to, you can keep your heroin, but I want, but I want space too. Okay. And that's often so much what it comes down to all this because you wanted that. So, um, we need to talk about that. We're going to talk about a bit of some of, uh, how this is manifesting at the healing childhood workshop. You see, we talked a lot about childhood today because it's so childhood. So um, the healing childhood workshop is this Saturday. It's March 5th. Starts at 1130 a.m. The link is in my bio. We end at 2 p.m. The last 30 minutes is for questions. We might go to 2.30 because you know how I just get, get excited. So we might go to 2.30. I don't know. We're going to try to end it at 2. Um, healing childhood is going to help you to frame this further and to start kind of like processing through some of the, some of the stuff. Okay. Um, but you got to go to therapy. Okay. This is, this is not solved in a podcast. It's not going to be solved at healing childhood either. It's also not going to be solved at the attachment style workshop on April 9th. It's also not going to be solved in my captions or anybody else's. I don't know any therapists or coaches who are guaranteeing that for you. I said this in a couple of episodes before. I think this is a client issue where you believe that you can do this, like by watching the podcast or um, listening to it or reading captions. And I get, go ahead, get what you can get, okay? But at some point, you owe it to yourself. It's not about your money. Go to somebody else if you don't want to give me yours, fine. Okay, it's not about money. It's about you just getting the work done, okay? It's about you caring enough about yourself to be like, hmm, I deserve the time focused right on me. Me. Me needs it. I need it. Not a group. Uh, even though group is cool, but I need this. I need my life witness. I need some help. And so you need to go to therapy, okay? You need to go to therapy, please. All right, y'all. Well, this was a really good episode. I'm very excited that it's over. If you want to cash at me, seriously, I asked for cash apps on my podcast. If you got something out of it, um, you can cash at me right here. Don't be listening to this stuff coming here week after week and you don't be giving anything back. That don't make no sense. That don't make no sense. That don't make no sense. You got to stop being cheap. Honestly, at some point you got to stop being cheap, okay? So uh, you can cash at me if you feel like, hey, Taylor, I really got something out of this. I really, I want to share it with somebody. I want to show you that I am, I am invested in this work and I appreciate your work. I really appreciate your cash apps. I'm also, I don't have badges. I don't have enough followers for badges, Genevieve. That's cool. So you got to cash at me. You got to cash at me. We still on the, we still in the gut. We still down here. Okay. So you got to cash at me. I don't have badges. Instagram does not, uh, does not send me a check. Okay. So that's the thing. I don't get that. I don't get that here. So if you, if you got to cash at me, um, so there's that. 
And uh, yeah, that's about it. So I'm about to get my, like, I'm getting some certifications in April. Um, I'm getting some certifications in April, like the EFT certification. I'm getting emotionally focused therapy. I think I'm going to be the best attachment therapist in the world. That's what I'm planning on. And so I, I'm funding this. Me. This is a one. This is a, this is, it's me. And then I got, and then look, Davine, you still on here? Davine is on here. She's my business manager. Hello, Davine. Say hey to them so that you can see you. Say hi. Davine, my business manager, I thank God that I was able to expand a bit and get some help because Lord knows this is a lot of work. Lord knows this is a lot of work. And so I need some, I need some support. We are still on the ground, y'all. So if you can support me, I need some help. Seriously. All right. Well, that's it. I hope you enjoyed the episode and it'll be up on Thursday. Thank you all for listening. Although this was a tough episode, (laughs) this was a tough episode for a lot of reasons. Um, We got through it. We got through it. So thank you so much for listening. This is the second passing, the last passing of the offering bucket today. Okay. You know where the cash app is. You know what it is. If you are feeling in your heart that you would like to give back into this work and support the show, y'all, this is a, like I said, a one, 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 I'm funding it. Okay. That's it. I'm funding it. And so I really appreciate those of you that are with me here on the ground level and who are appreciating and valuing the work. And I love that you're getting something out of it. I really appreciate you uh, giving of yourself in that way and of your own resources to give back into what you're getting something out of. It really is a big deal. So thank you. I'm going to see you next week, of course. Okay, we got a couple episodes left in the season. A couple more people for you to hear from. Some people that are going to be really, really, really helpful, of course. You know me. Um, What else? So Healing Childhood is this Saturday, okay? So we're literally just two days away from it. Um, So you may or may not be listening to this episode before we actually do Healing Childhood. So just know that I am going to do it again throughout the year, but I'm still going to include the link just in case you're listening to this on Thursday or Friday and you want to hop in uh, by Saturday morning. Okay. So that link is there. Free console call is also there. It's a free 20 minute phone call. There's no video. I will call you at the scheduled day and time and we'll talk. If you're outside of the United States, then we do that call on Zoom audio. So still no video, but the link to the um, Zoom audio is going to be in your appointment confirmation. All right, y'all, that's all you need. I will see you next week.